Finding Your Way Back to God is the, the title of our series. And, and the title itself implies that there is a distance between us and God that didn't used to be there. And some people might say, well, I've never really been close to God. How can I find my way back to God? If I've never been close, it's not coming back. And that is a fair question. It's a fair thought. But in the beginning, man was made to be with God. Adam and Eve, they walked with God, had fellowship with God. And when sin entered the picture, it separated them and it separated us from God. And from that moment on, mankind has been trying to find their way back to God. This is seen particularly clearly in the Old Testament as the nation of Israel continually turns to and from God. In Joel chapter 2, and these, these scriptures are in your bulletin, they'll also be on the screen uh, if you want to follow along with them. Just a couple of passages from the Old Testament. In Joel chapter 2, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. In Nehemiah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, we read this, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. And in the book of Job, chapter 22, beginning in verse 21, submit to God and you will have peace. Then things will go well for you. Listen to his instructions and store them in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. So clean up your life. And honestly, that's just a small sample of what, what I, we could go on and on in the Old Testament. Calls to return to God, calls for the people of Israel, for God's people to return to God, and it's the same for us. For some, it's finding their way back to God for the first time. For others, maybe you knew God at one point in your life, but there is some drifting, maybe that you didn't even notice, and suddenly there is again this distance between yourself and God. Maybe you have no interest in God and don't even know why you came to church today, whatever you might be today, wherever you might be today, it's important that we understand that we all have the opportunity to find our way back to God. And that in addition to that, we should all take that opportunity. Over the next five weeks, this week and the next four, we're going to talk about things that we search for, things that we strive for instead of God, and why it's truly God that we should be seeking. Now, I'm going to make some assumptions here today about you and I. Um, we know what it's like to have longings go unfulfilled. We know what it's like to have things that we want that we don't get. We understand what it's like to, to, to feel that way. Additionally, I would venture to say that we know what it's like to end up maybe in a place that we never intended to be. You know, we search for things, we long for things, and sometimes they aren't even the right things, and we end up in a place we never intended to be and. And then one thing I'm almost positive of, you and I, at some point, we've had the thought or even said the words, there's got to be more. That feeling, there's got to be more, creates in all of us longings. That feeling, if we allow it, will cause us to search for satisfaction to those longings. Read literature, you see in so many stories, 
so many amazingly written stories, the underlying theme of a character who is longing for something more and searching to satisfy those longings. Artists throughout time have communicated longing in their art. Songwriters sing more about longing than we'd probably ever realize if we actually think about it. In fact, I want to test your musical knowledge for just a moment today and and ask you to finish these these lyrics that I'd say are pretty well known, so you can feel free to answer this out loud. I know there's only a few of us here, but that's okay. If I say you can't always get... Thanks for singing it, Matt. I appreciate that. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Or looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. Now you'll have at least one of those songs stuck in your head for the rest of today. You are welcome. Enjoy that. But I think you can see in those song lyrics, they're pointing to the longings we all have. You can't always get what you want, but that doesn't mean you're not trying to do so. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm still looking. Looking for love in all the wrong places. But I'm going to keep looking anyway. And there are probably countless specific longings, but a lot of them can be grouped into a few specific overarching themes here. Several longings that kind of cover a whole grouping. The first one is a longing for love. Glenn Wolf holds the world record for the, uh, the most number of marriages in the U.S., and if you had asked me to guess how many times he'd been married that was a record, I would probably have maybe guessed somewhere in the teens, something like that, which still seems crazy enough. Uh, he was actually married 29 times. His longest marriage lasted seven years, and his shortest lasted 19 days, but he was married 29 times. And just a side note, this doesn't really, I'm just telling you, Wolf was, Wolf was in fact a preacher by trade. And I'll tell you that as judgment on him for being married 29 times, I'll tell you this to ask a question. What was he seeking after? And why did he keep trying to find it? Truthfully, all of us long for love at some point, and even though relationships are hard and we end up getting hurt, we tend to still look for love. In fact, I would suggest people who say they don't long for love, just won't admit that they really do have a longing for love inside of them. And it goes beyond romantic love. I mean, think about the times when a, when a friend has hurt you, has betrayed you, and you still make more friends. You still allow yourself to be in those kinds of relationships where that same thing could happen again. We long for love in the form of relationships. Another category of longing we, we tend to, to have is longing for purpose. When you were a kid, and I know for, for some of you that's thinking a lot farther back than some others, but you knew what you wanted to be when you grew up. And I know that I wanted to be a race car driver. And I don't know if that's just because in my house every Sunday there was a race on TV, and so I thought that looked pretty cool, and they got to wear the fire suits, and I thought those looked really cool, and they got to go fast, and I thought that was really cool. Um, but that was before I learned to fear um, things. But I wanted to be a race car driver. Maybe you wanted to be a doctor, or maybe you wanted to be a teacher, or maybe you wanted to be an astronaut. I feel like at some point every kid my age at least wanted to be an astronaut. Some of you may have realized the dream of what you wanted to be. Maybe you are what you said you wanted to be when you were a kid. Some of you may still someday be hoping to be an astronaut. I don't know. But the question becomes, why as kids do we look at what we want to be when we grow up? We don't have bills, we don't have responsibilities as kids, so why, as kids, so why would we be looking at what we're going to do for a job, what we're going to do for a living later in life? Why would that matter so much? We were just in the beginning stages, probably, when you, when you started to think about what you wanted to be when you grew up, of, of even learning how to spell, 
even learning how to write some of those early learnings that we all had. Really, it's simple. I think even at a young age, we all had kind of an indwelling desire for purpose. We knew that we were going to need to, at some point, do something with our life, and that desire, that longing for purpose was already there. And then the third one is longing for meaning. In addition to those longings mentioned so far, this is definitely one we're always looking for. We want to answer important questions, the meaning of life, why God allows bad things to happen, what the point of even existing is, what the purpose of pain in our lives might be. And you begin to ask those questions and say, well, why would God allow things to happen? What's the point of life? Why am I here? Why am I in so much pain? You ask those questions, you're looking for meaning. You're looking for a reason behind those things. I don't necessarily have the answers to those questions, but there's a reason why suffering feels not just painful but unfair. There's a reason why we often feel like our lives and our world aren't the way they're supposed to be. God gives us those feelings, and I believe that God feels the same way. That pain, He's not a fan of pain. He doesn't necessarily like the way the world is going. God wants to see wrongs righted, and I believe that's part of why we desire to see wrongs righted, and we desire to see suffering, and we desire to, to see the world a better place. I believe God put those desires in us. And so all of those longings, they were put there for a reason. And so what I want to make sure we understand is that having a longing for love, having a longing for purpose, having a longing for meaning, those are not bad things. The problem comes in when we seek to fulfill those longings on our own. When we try to satisfy those three longings and even more without God. But there is some good news for us today, and this is kind of the direction we're going to go with the entire series. Being aware of those longings, awakening to those longings, and to the truth about how they can be satisfied, marks a very important beginning on a road, on a journey back to God. In Luke 15, Jesus tells what is considered by many people to be one of the greatest short stories in all of literature. It's a story of a lost son who has this longing, and you, and you heard the scripture at the beginning in the video. He has this, there's got to be more longing. In fact, he could have been the original writer of any of those songs we referenced a few moments ago. He very well could have been the original writer of, you can't always get what you want, or I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm looking for love in all the wrong places, because those songs just as easily could have been written about the things that he did in that story. In fact, if you made a movie about that story, I would venture to say all of those songs would fit very well on the soundtrack. But in the context of first century uh, Middle Eastern culture, which is where the story takes place that Jesus tells here, a son asking his father for early inheritance is extremely insulting. Extremely insulting. And, And the truth is, that's still true today. If you have a son and your son comes to you today and says, listen, I know you're still alive, But whatever you would leave me when you die, I'd like it now. Nobody's going to handle that request well. But it was particularly on a cultural level insulting back then to to disregard your father at that level. In Jesus' day, a son was not only expected to wait until his father passed away to receive 
his rightful inheritance, but he was also expected to be one of the or the main person who took care of their father in their old age. So what the son was actually saying was, look, dad, I don't care if you live or die anymore. I just know there's something more and I want it now. I don't want us to underestimate how huge of an offense this was. Not only was he saying, give me my inheritance, but he was saying, I'm not going to do my, my sonly duty, if you will, and care for you in your old age. And sometimes we sit in a seat of judgment and we look down upon this son and we, we say, you know, wow, how could he do that to his father? I can't imagine doing that to my father. But the truth is, it's possible what he said to his father is how sometimes we feel because sometimes we feel like life isn't bringing us what we hoped for or what we wanted or even what we feel like we deserve and we say, there's got to be more and I, should, I deserve it now. I, I've had enough things go on in my life that I need this now or, or, or I've earned this now or I don't know. But here's something that, that we need to understand and I touched on this earlier. Thinking and feeling that you want something more, this desire that, that there might be more, is what we should feel. Now, not everything we desire is good for us, but things like your longing for a love that will truly last and a purpose for living and a need to make sense out of the hard things from life, again, those come from God. But this son, he sounded like so many of us. He was convinced that the next step, the only step, in order to pursue whatever it was he was looking for, was to leave his father and find the answers on his own. I want to hit just a couple of those verses we heard at the beginning in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. We don't actually get a ton of detail about what actually occurred in this distant land, but it was costly for certain. And we kind of just have to imagine what wild living might have looked like in Jesus' day. I think our natural thought process is to think about what it would look like today, and then scale it back, right? You know, we, we, Amsterdam, Vegas, Atlantic City, wherever your thoughts go, and then we scale it back, and we think, well, that's probably what it was like for this young man. Whatever it actually looked like, we can pretty safely assume that the son was attempting to satisfy any and all desire that he had. And we don't get an exact timeline, but the money doesn't seem to vast, last very long before it's gone. Right around the time a famine strikes the land, in verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When we want to talk about someone hitting rock bottom, this is often a story we go to. Because taking care of pigs is no picnic, they're dirty, they smell, they aren't always super friendly, and yet the son gets to the point where the food that he's feeding to the pigs looks pretty appetizing, and we, we use that. I think we tell that story to kids, too, you know, get old enough to understand the story, and we say, here's why you need to be thankful for what you have. This young man, he ended up with nothing. He wanted to eat the food that was for the pigs. He certainly didn't find out what he set out to, to, to find. He didn't satisfy the longing the way that he thought that he would. His longing for love clearly wasn't satisfied in his wild living. His, his purpose, his longing for a purpose wasn't satisfied in wild living, nor being in far from his father. He, he was left asking, why didn't this turn out the way that I thought it would? Why am I so lonely, so broke, 
so broken and so empty? How did I end up where I am? And what happens is if you read through the stories, you end up feeling bad for the son. I mean, you can find yourself saying that he got what he deserved. Some people might, might get to that point. But even if that's true, here's what I think. I think that the story of the lost son, in a lot of ways, is our story. It's your story and my story. I mean, our story may be a little bit more dramatic or a little bit less dramatic. It might have a few less pigs in it. But I believe that the story is probably at least somewhat familiar to us, not because we've heard it before, but because on some level we've lived it. And the reason that Jesus told this story was to show his listeners, and I believe even us today as we read it, that we can always come back home, back to God. Because the son did go back home. He, he was welcomed home by his loving father. No, no matter where you are with God, he is willing to welcome you back home. And so that brings us to one of life's most important questions, a question that we'll have to answer over and over and over again. Where will we go to satisfy our God-given longings? And in that question, there lies a choice. Will they draw us closer to God or away from God? Where will we go to satisfy our God-given longings, if we can admit that, that God has given us a longing for, for things like love and purpose and meaning, those longings can, can pull you either direction, closer to God or farther away. Closer, farther away. Because here's what I believe. On some level, the same longings that drew the prodigal son away, the same longings that drew the prodigal son away to go try life out, those are the same longings that drew him back home. He was drawn away looking for love, but you can't tell me he didn't come home looking for love as well. And he was drawn away looking for purpose, but you can't tell me that he didn't realize, you know, maybe there was more purpose at home. He was drawn away looking for meaning, but you can't tell me that he didn't hope to find true meaning back where he realized he belonged. Those longings drew him away, and when he realized it was a mistake, those same longings drew him home. And so what about us? Where will we go to satisfy our God-given longings? As, as we move through this series, we'll talk about that initial time that we find our way back to God and begin that relationship with Him, but we'll also spend a lot of time talking about the ongoing nature of our journey. You see, when, when we first find our way back to God, when you first come to know God, to know Jesus as your Savior... It is absolutely a life-changing moment, but we will also continue and need to continue to find our way back to God over and over again as a life-growing life process. Most people's spiritual journey can be summarized basically in this way. Time after time, we've wandered away from our home. That, that's pretty common. Time after time, we've wandered away from our home. Time after time, we've forgotten God. I hate to admit it, but it's true. Time after time, we've forgotten God. Time after time, we've completely turned our backs on Him. Again, we would hate to admit that, but if we look closely at our lives, it has certainly happened. But then the most important thing that's a part of all of our stories, time after time, He takes us back. So time after time, we've wandered away. Time after time, we've forgotten God. Time after time, we've completely turned our backs. Time after time, He's taken us back. 
Some of us have been known to cover all of those bases in one day. But as we go through the next four weeks of this series, we're going to look at four more awakenings, four more things we need to realize again and again, four more things we need to, need to, to come alive to again and again. But we had to start by, today by awakening to the fact that we all have God-given longings and they can send us one way or the other. We needed to realize that we have a, a, a longing for love, a longing for purpose, and a longing for meaning. And to realize that, that even though there are two directions, even though those longings can take us one of two ways, we should never be satisfied to be running away from God. We want to be a people who are journeying back to God, not away from Him. And we want to, we want to be a church, a group of Jesus followers who help people find their way back to God. And so as we begin this series together this morning, I want to issue a challenge. There was a 17th century mathematician named Blaise Pascal, who was a really, really, really smart guy. If you kind of get on the list of the most intelligent people in history, he'll show up, especially when it comes to Western civilization. Really, really smart guy. And he grew up in a situation in a family where he knew of God. He knew about God, but he wasn't really following him. See, there's a difference between knowledge of God and, and belief in God. You can know everything there is to know about God. You can have every word of the Bible memorized. It does not mean you have any kind of a relationship with him. And so Pascal, he had all this knowledge, but he wasn't following him. He had this profound middle-of-the-night experience with God um, that, that changed his heart, and it gave him this passion to help other people find God the way that he felt like he was beginning to find God. And so what he began to do, and this, this is cool, I, I can't imagine doing something like this, but in the circles that Pascal went in, the intelligent people around him, that community, what he began to do is he began to challenge his fellow intellectuals to a wager on God. He would dare them to step into a belief about God and see if it didn't change their lives. He explained the wager this way. I love how he says this. He said, make a bet that this is a God who loves you. If you're right, you have everything to gain. And if you're wrong, you have nothing to lose. Make a bet that God is real. It's a gamble where you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. It makes a lot of sense. You know, he basically said this. If you find God, you'll find the source of unconditional love for which you've always longed. Finding God will offer you a purpose for your life. And God is the one who can take your past and make sense out of it, who can answer those questions about meaning. If it ends up not being the case, you've lost nothing. But if you come to believe that God is real, and Pascal was betting on the fact that God would be revealing himself to these people if they took this seriously. It sounds crazy, but it worked. And there were people who came to know God because he made this bet with them. Now, I'm not saying go to your neighbors and make this bet not really the idea. But the truth is, I believe if you truly seek God, if, if you give him the opportunity, you'll, you'll find him. You'll find him. So here's what we want to do. We, we want to issue kind of a challenge, and we're going to do a little bit of this each week during this series. But no matter where you're at with God, we want to challenge you to do some things. And the first one is very simple. It's to pray to pray to God. And so if that's not a common practice for you, it may seem awkward at first, but, but we challenge you to give it a try. 
for others, prayer is uh, such a regular part of your life that this won't be an issue, but at the same time, maybe it becomes so regular that it becomes routine. Either way, I want to challenge you to open yourself up to finding God in a deeper way than maybe you have before. And so for the next 30 days, basically for the length of this series, pray. Pray as if God is real every single day for those 30 days. And if you need some guidance, I shared with you a prayer in your bulletin there, and it's on the screen as well. A very simple prayer. You can pray anything more than this. But I would challenge you to pray this. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the ability to see that you are what's missing from my life. See, what I love about that prayer is that it's a prayer you can pray whether you believe it's going to happen or not. See, nothing in Scripture says that God hears our prayers if we're already followers of Him. Nothing in Scripture said that God hears our prayers if we're being good that week. Nothing in Scripture says that God hears our prayers, you know, if we're on the good list right now. It doesn't say that. And so wherever you're at, praying a prayer like this, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. I just, I love the idea there, and I believe that God will reveal Himself in that. No matter where you're at with God, taking on a challenge like this, and I, I would challenge you to hang on to this prayer because you may find yourself in a situation someday where you're talking to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And you can say, listen, if, if you want to start somewhere, this would be a great place to start. Taking on this challenge, no matter where you're at, is worthwhile. You have nothing to lose but everything to gain. And so as we close, here's what I want to challenge you to, to imagine with me. Imagine what it would be like to not have to run after love anymore. Imagine what it would be like, or what it would feel like, to, to not feel like you're still searching for purpose because you found it in God. Imagine what it would be like to not have to search for meaning because God brings clarity. Imagine what it would feel like to, to actually feel fulfilled in the longings of your life. God can do all that for us if we stop searching everywhere else the fulfillment of those longings. God wants to provide. When the son came back home to his father, it's really important that we don't miss that, that his plan was to come home as a servant. His plan was to come home and take on a new role. He, he knew, he was sure that his father would see him differently. He was absolutely certain that his father would not be able to look at him the same way he did before he left. He thought he would have to earn his way back. He thought he would have to work his way back. And when he came back, the father didn't look at him any differently than he did before. In fact, he threw a party. Sometimes when we wander away from God, sometimes when we pursue those longings somewhere else, we feel guilty, and we, and we absolutely should. But we can get to a dangerous point where we believe that God might not take us back. Or that God might not take us back the same way. Or that God, God might make us pay a penance for what we've done. Or God might make us wait a while. Or God might bring us back on a lower level. I believe that God looks at us the same way the Father looked at that Son. That whatever it is that has created distance between us and God, that we are welcome back. And then he'll welcome us with open arms, and honestly, then he'll throw a party. Wherever you're at with God, 
I pray that every one of us will let our longings lead us back to him. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for stories like this that so clearly end up being about us. God, I pray that wherever we're at right now with you, that you would help us to know that the path we want to be on is the path that draws us closer to you. God, I pray that we would open ourselves up to you more, that we would be ready and willing to grow into a a first-time relationship with you or, or a deeper relationship with you. And God, if we wandered, I pray that we would come back. God, if you are real, make yourself real to us. And God, I pray that you would awaken in us the ability to see that you are what's missing from our lives. When we feel empty, it's you that's missing. When we feel lost, it's because we've wandered away from you. God, help us to come back. And thank you for taking us back. God, as we move into a time of communion, I pray that we would never forget what you did for us when you sent Jesus to the cross. Now, there was no way we could save ourselves. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.